in an age with too many movies for one person to watch them all, we are here for you. I am Jody Berman Kustanovich. And I am Yechiel Hoffman. And we are two movie Jews. So many movies, so many more opinions. I just want to acknowledge that we are doing the Batman episode. This is our first DC-oriented episode. We have been yep. very kind of like committed to our MCU universe, so we are foraying into new territory. We're also recording this on Era of Purim, the day before the Jewish holiday of Purim. That's going to bring a lot of things up for me. And we're also acknowledging that we're recording this episode. I think this is our first episode we recorded since the horrible Russian invasion and attack on the Ukrainian country and people. That's very much weighing with me, and it's hard. I have to be honest, to have a Batman episode without thinking about this Jewish holiday and without thinking about this violence that it's occurring, that's uh, destroying people's lives. Because I think in many ways, comic books, and for that matter, comic book movies were always generated to help us deal with the violence in our lives that we could not make sense of. And that's why they were so popular in like the pre-World War II stage, when Superman first you know, came out, and going forward through eras of Vietnam and you know the Cold War and post 9-11. Um, so I'm just happy to see this to you. I'm also happy because I feel like I pulled you into the world of Batman for yeah. this episode. And I just was wondering, you know, how it feels living with the Dark Knight. Well, I got to tell you, you know me. I like to go back and rewatch. And I, I started at the second to beginning uh, because I couldn't find the 1966 TV movie. But I did start way back at Michael Keaton's Bat- Batman. I realized and it's funny because even watching the batman the other day with my kids i turned to my son and i was like wow this is a really emo batman and he looked at me and he goes all batmen are emo batmen and i was like you know what that's a really really good point like there isn't the same levity like you get in the MC. You know, you don't get that crack, joke cracking well, Iron get Man. With other DCU stuff, like right. Wonder Woman, right. Flash have always had a comedic element. Batman, it's a different type of comedy. It's like a totally. the comedy comes from the villains more than it does from the the very stiff, literally because yeah. that cough. Yeah, uh, and you know, Batman. I mean, obviously, his origin story is very sad. And becoming an orphan and losing your parents and all of those things. So, you know, having a dark side that manifests the dark night is absolutely fair enough. But I had forgotten that exactly what you said. All the comic relief, all the comic nonsense, you know, some of the characters that are absurd. It's all from the villains. None of it is from Batman. Batman is such a straight-ahead character. And I think I had forgotten that until I was watching all of these films pretty much in a row. Um, it's it's so much darker and so much more emo and heavy than you get from almost any other superhero film. So just for our listeners' sake, we are going to jump in a little bit to the latest incarnation of Batman the Batman, the Batman, the Batman, and then we're going to jump into some overall conversations about all of them. For our purposes of our conversation, Jody, we're kind of leaving out the animated series. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to, even though we acknowledge the the movie that was made based on the TV show, we're not going to really include that. I will say that one did have a tremendous amount of frivolity and comedy. It was almost a sitcom that was an action sitcom. I would call it. Back was in the it day. Adam West, Oliver Shalom? Adam West, Burt Ward, and there was a lot of comedy in that one, and I grew up on that. Clearly, Tim Burton and Michael Keaton reinvented Batman in 1989 yeah. away from that, yeah. using some of the comic books and graphic novels that were made in the 80s to kind of like lean into what I would call the dark side of the Batman. Yeah. And for the personal conversation, we're going to talk about the Tim Burton, Joel Schumacher series right. that was from the 80s and 90s, the Chris Nolan series. Uh, I guess we have to talk about Josh, Josh Whedon and Zack Snyder's version of Batman from yep. the Justice League series and this newest one. So let's jump into the newest one. And maybe okay. we'll then come. There's so much to say. First of all, if we talked about, you know, drive my car being three hours, what a <laughs> contrast between 
drive my cars three hours and the Batman three hours. Yes. Uh, for all our listeners who have not yet seen this movie, it is a real three hours. It is not like two hours and 40 minutes with trailers. It no. is three hours of being pummeled by the Batman. Yep. What was the experience for you, like sitting in theater for three hours? You know me, I don't like when a three hour film takes a really long time to ramp up. And this movie did not take any time to ramp up. It jumped in, it moved, every single scene moved. You know, it really felt methodical. Every part of the three hours felt important to me. I was even surprised when the movie was over. Now, having said that, I do think it could have been a bit shorter. I think with a gun to my head, could have edited a tight 15 from the film. I'm not mad at it for not editing it down a little further because I thought it was visually stunning. And I really liked Robert Pattinson as Batman. I thought he did a superb job. And I I liked it. I really liked the film. So I was not mad at the three hours. How did you do? I know you just saw it the other day. I just saw it yesterday. So I'm really fresh from it still. And I will say there was a point in the movie where I'm like, oh, this movie could end here. And I looked at my watch and I realized it's an hour and a half fan. Meaning there is a director out there could have said at that halfway point, this is a movie. Yeah. It is good. Like yeah. the way, uh, even though it was very long, Dune, the director said, like, I'll cut it here and I'll make a second one. Yeah. I thought Matt Reed could have stopped it at some point and said, I'm going to make a second part of this movie. It would have been a good movie at that point. Like it was high intensity, really interesting, great thematic. Here's what I'll say. It's called The Batman because the movie pretty much is starring Batman. You're not getting a lot of... Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne. Right. If anything this movie, which takes place a year into Batman's wearing the cowl and the cape and fighting on the streets of Gotham, this movie starts off immediately telling us, like, Bruce Wayne's kind of gone. Yeah. This guy lives at night as the Batman, goes to sleep, wakes up again as a Batman. He's a nocturnal animal. And it's a movie about who do, what does it mean to be the Batman? Yeah. Not what does it mean to be Bruce Wayne playing the Batman. Yeah. And the only times in this movie that you really see Bruce Wayne, you're really kind of like, what's the mask anymore? Is Bruce Wayne the mask for Batman? And he's just Robert Pattinson. This is the trick: is he wasn't that compelling in the scenes where he doesn't wear a mask. There's just he's kind of like flat almost, and I think that's intentional. Yeah, he's absolutely intentional. When he's wearing the mask, because his eyes and his mouth yeah. do so much amazing acting work. I have not. I can't say I've seen. A movie where you can barely show a person's face that you're getting so much from them in what you are seeing. And yeah. and also the way he's in his body. He's a pretty lean Batman. He's not a big Batman. Yeah. They're not like trying to bulk him up. He he almost looks like he's compact. And yeah. every punch he takes. I want to say one thing about the direction and we can get into the themes of the movie and the overall experience of it. I thought Matt Reeves did a incredible job setting the world if you've seen any of his Planet of the Eight movies, it was very familiar in the way he sets up this world and sets up the dynamic. One thing I'd like to say about his action, if you you recently watched every Batman movie pretty much. Yeah, everything except Justice League because I, I didn't have four hours, but I'm going back to it. Well, Matt, I which promise Justice you Zack Snyder, I'm going back to it. <laughs> but like every other movie, there's a directorial choice made about how you shoot Batman action sequences, which is about fast cutting. There being a lot of kinetic energy but you, you as the viewer are never experiencing the actual fight. Every right. single Christopher Nolan, Tim Burton, Joel Schumacher, Zack Snyder all do this. And what I love that Matt Reeves did, he almost pulls back the camera for every fight sequence. And you are seeing both every punch as they land between Batman's fist and the other guy. And also how Batman's getting hit. It yeah. does, he does not cut away. He's making you sit with the impact of these human beings fighting with each other and the other thing is that i thought it was a great choice in terms of the writing every other batman movie like it's part of the batman character gives him all these like stuff there's even a great line from the first batman movie where the joker says where does he get all these wonderful toys oh my god that's exactly what i was about to say exactly i was going to ask you if you noticed two things one i thought this was the most vulnerable batman in other words he is a superhero, but he's a mortal superhero. And compared to every other Batman, like he's 
really taking those punches and he's really like okay his suit makes him bulletproof i did sort of joke at the end did you notice there's a thousand people shooting at him and not one hits the mouth which is the (laughs) only open place but he takes the punches he's like wounded more than any other batman and the least number of gadgets of any Batman film. I'm so glad you noticed that because I was just about to say to you, did you notice that there were the least number of these fancy schmancy, you know, it turns into a helicopter, it turns into, the car turns into, it was the most pared down of all the Batmans, of all, as I've been calling them, the Batman. Even the Batmobile and the Batcycle were just motorcycles. And and essentially like a, a tripped up, you know, like Doom Buggy or whatever. Right. And, and that is borrowing from the Chris Nolan stuff, except Chris Nolan gave his Batman a tank and mm. fancy gyrocopter. The only gadget he really had with those, he has these contact lenses, which allows him to uh, scan and work. But that's within technology, like I think you could imagine us having, and a rich guy could buy. Yeah. But it's not like he had, unlike the Chris Nolan one, where he had some like scientist making him all this stuff. Yeah, he was on and his own. you notice like no relationship with any scientist in this film. It it was truly he has a relationship so... with Alfred, which yeah, which I thought actually was the weakest part of the film. Yeah, it was like seemed soon. It was like contraction to the core of what and who Batman is, and that I thought made it super duper compelling. It was like the contraction. Like this is the first time I can remember where they introduced a villain love interest for Batman, which is often Catwoman. And here it's Selena Kyle. She's not referred to as Catwoman, even though she has cats and she's clearly a woman. Right. Um, But it's the first time we don't get like a Bruce Wayne, Selena Kyle love relationship that's then balanced with the the Batman, you know, Catwoman relationship. Here it's just Selena Kyle and Batman. That's right. There is no relationship with Bruce Wayne. And I love that sequence where like he's knocked down and she still kisses him. Like, this is not like, this is a very different Selena Kyle. This is a person who's finding maybe for the first time somebody who will protect her, or will look after her, even though she's used to doing it on her own. She keeps on saying like three times or four times in the film, don't worry, I got my own back. Like she's enjoying Batman. Yeah. That doesn't mean that she's not treating Batman like a person. She knows there's a, somebody behind that. She right. doesn't really care. To me, it was a singular interpretation of Batman compared to the other. Obviously the first batch between Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher, though different, same kind of tenor, same tone. You know, every time a new telling and a new Batman, I'm like, all right, what, you know, again, but this was a singular telling. It was a completely different kind of film. To me, it was justifiable in making yet a new renewal of the Batman series. It's interesting because I really like the score. So I went on Spotify and started listening to it. Right, yeah. Michael Giacconi, who we're all familiar from like Pixar movies, and, and he's now moved on to other larger scale things. What I started noticing when listening to the score, beyond like its use, uh, its use in many times of a Nirvana song, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, it actually brings in themes from the Tim Burton score and from the Hans Zimmer score that dominated the original two Batman movies and then the Chris Nolan ones. And I thought that was an interesting thing. So I think you're right that I think they're trying to establish this as its own interpretation. But they're also referencing things that came in the past. Mm. So they're not like removing it. It's not like they're saying this didn't exist. It's saying like this helped birth this new incarnation, this nice. this new version of Batman. That there's something here that's still reminiscent. Like I do think the Christian Bale Batman was allowed to get beat up, yeah. and we saw him like the broken back and yeah. and, and and struggling in in the Dark Knight Rises movie, for example. But you're absolutely right. They're, they're creating this world of Batman that like, we can just live in. Let's just talk about Paul Dano as the Riddler. <sighs> We've seen the Riddler before in a Batman movie played by Jim Carrey. This is not the same. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> what, what do you think of this performance, which also we don't get to see Paul Dano until like really 80% of the way in the movie without a mask on. He's so creepy. It was such a good casting choice. And it made me think of um, the film where he, I think he was being accused of being a serial killer with Mark Wahlberg and he wasn't, but he's so bizarrely creepy. You know, when they unmasked him, I was like, oh, of course, Paul Dano. Like what 
incredible casting and perfect, almost tight casting. I don't know what it is about him that just, that screams perfect Batman villain, but I thought he played it so you know, this is the other thing. When you compare it to prior movies, they are so... Like, let's even just start right from the beginning. Jack Nicholson as the Joker. He is overtly bananas, right? He's overtly psychotic. It's all very... Uh, Jim Carrey as the Riddler. Very over the top with the voices and the dramatics and the shenanigans. Paul Dano, however, played psychotic as you would imagine an actual psychotic serial killer would be not a comic book version of a villain but a real world version of a villain and i again it's this pairing back to uh to a reality to a possible alternate universe in which a Batman can exist and in which this kind of guy and even his use of social media and engaging other assassins, right? You could absolutely see this happen on TikTok and you can absolutely see this happen on whatever, Stitch or whatever these things are. I mean, I'm telling you, it felt very real to me, even though hopefully it's not. I thought he played it very real. What did you think? Two things. One, what was really scary about this movie is the movie opens up in its first seconds from the point of view of the Riddler. You don't know it at first because it's a Batman movie. You might think this is Batman, but you re you you find out pretty quickly that the movie has opened up asking you as a viewer to see things through the eyes of the Riddler. And the truth is, outside of the Riddler's riddleness and his serial killerness, he has a point. Yeah. Like he's extremely destructive and and you know he's good and by the end of the movie he's done some horrible terrorist like things yeah but his point is spot on about the nature yeah. of class and corruption and it's hard not to relate to it in some ways and i think that's so, so brilliant there's a lot of questions about where this movie kind of like what it's riffing on matt reeves is a very self-referential filmmaker we've talked about a lot of filmmakers who like they're looking at other movies and yeah. I think he made an interesting choice here to make a Batman movie that was not based off of an action, but based on a detective. Really, this is Batman playing detective most of the movie. Interesting. Um, he's trying to figure something out. He's trying to solve these riddles. And he's also realizing that to solve these riddles, it's going to reveal something he doesn't want to see or have seen. This reminded me of David Fincher's Seven. Mm, yeah, wow. The movie is Seven. It's about two detectives, played by Jeffrey Wright and Robert Pattinson, one of them is a little bit more kind of like ready to do his own goes way when it's a little more grizzled also played by a black actor but that's another story who are faced with horrific crimes they cannot figure out who's the source of these crimes they finally catch the killer who laughs in their face and basically explains his worst crimes yet to come and if you look at the way this film was shot i actually believe production design it's it's this it could be the same cities seven was shot in hmm. and I believe this is like the superhero version of Seven. What happened if the Brad Pitt character in Seven was Batman? That's this movie. So the, the big question you and I have been talking about this year a lot, whether it was West Side Story or Dune, was do we really need these new movies? Right. Right? Do we really need in 2022 another Batman movie? Exactly. This is where I, I thought, yes, we did. We needed a, a Batman detective movie. We needed seven to be brought back because what this movie does and what that movie does is you realize with the riddler it's asking her a question about our relationship with violence and i can't help but watch the images of what's going on in ukraine to think that we as a world have not come to terms yet with the cost of violence right. and we want to protect our borders we want to be isolationist but when you introduce violence into the world as in this movie almost explicitly said thomas wayne did when he killed off that reporter and when he let the mob basically take over the city when you let violence in mm -hmm. it's gonna be there and now batman by the end of the movie pretty much says i get that i'm never gonna fully solve this problem but i am responsible for this violence being here i have to be here to offset it and what i love about this movie i, I guess it's a little bit of a spoiler i'm really curious your thoughts that last sequence in Madison Square, I mean, sorry, not Madison Square Garden, 
Gotham Square Garden. Yes, um, of course. <laughs> when he jumps into that water, mm-hmm. and you've heard him talking about like willing to sacrifice himself the whole movie, what did you think was going to happen in the movie when he made that death-defying kind of like drop to save the people from that electricity thing? What did you think the movie was about to do with Batman? I wasn't sure, but I sure had the moment of like, is this ending at one? Like, is this going to be a one-shot Batman? Robert Pattinson is about to kill himself to save the people. I really did. I was like, what's happening right now? Did you think so? What did you think was that? I I totally thought that, like, we've had this recently. Like, you could kill off the Batman here. This would be brilliant. And then I realized they did. They killed the Batman. The Batman that we were introduced at the beginning of the movie that says things like, I don't care if I live. I just have to like keep on doing this. I am vengeance. Right. Vengeance died in that water. Mm. And we'll say this. This is our Jewiness first <laughs> point of Jewiness. He went to the mikvah. He went to immerse himself in water. He guy came out, spiritually cleansed. He goes from being vengeance and killing everybody, literally stabbing himself with the drug he's trying to get off the street to kill another guy that's about to hurt his his friend, and he comes out of the water, and what does he do? He does not do more vengeance. He le- Physically, I wish our viewers can see me doing this, lends a helping hand yeah. to the boy, to the mayor, to the other people. Batman dies, and a new Batman emerges that's no longer vengeance, but it's a different kind of Batman. It's the helping hand Batman. The Batman... Hell, you no win. Different- you win the Batman! You win the Jewy Batman. I did so, not. That's why we need a new Batman. This is it. We needed a Batman that took us out of vengeance, which is the world we live in right now. It's the world of Donald Trump that we built over the last five years. It's the world that led to us saying an election wasn't won and we needed January 6th to a world where we shift from being vengeance to being a helping hand. And it's very hard not to see what's happening in Ukraine and the U.S. relationship with what's happening in Ukraine to wind up vengeance for Ukraine against Russia versus what's our job to be a helping hand for these people. Whoa. And I was blown away watching this movie. Like, I thought they could kill Batman. Like, I really thought, Matt Reeves, you're a genius. Do one yeah. movie with Robert Pattinson. We know there's a scene later where they introduce a villain. I won't mention that as a spoiler. Right, um, right. That's very familiar. But I also think this is the lesson of the Riddler. Like, what's he saying to him? Saying, we both became orphans. You got taken care of, I did not. And that led me to wanting to radically change the system. I don't trust the system. And Batman, for all of his, like, Lone Ranger kind of behavior, he trusts the system, right? He he doesn't trust Cyclops. He trusts Gordon. He keeps on telling Catwoman you can't kill this horrible mobster. He is someone who wants to work within the system. Right. But has to do it with a Batman. So I want to ask, here's the biggest thing that gets me. Okay. And then we'll go in. I want to do a perm take on this in a second. Okay. Why do you think Batman, I'm saying Batman, not Bruce Wayne. Why does Batman need to wear a mask? Why can't he be like Superman? And just put on a cape, put on an awesome suit. Wonder Woman doesn't wear a mask. Aquaman doesn't wear a mask. Why does Batman need to wear that mask? That's a very interesting question. Because not every superhero does wear a mask. And I wonder if it's because he wants to preserve having an identity in the world, you know? And he even said at some point in this film, you don't want to come out because now you put everyone in your orbit in danger. Right, and we see that play out to some degree with Alfred. your family, your friends. This is a wing. So I was very confused, conflicted around this question. Okay, so you're absolutely right. There's the, this is the Spider-Man thing, wear a mask because you want to protect your friends. But let's face it, Bruce Wayne has no friends. Bruce Wayne barely has an identity. Nobody's seen Bruce Wayne apparently in years. Right. So is there protecting Bruce Wayne about? for what purpose? The second option is, and he says this explicitly in the movie, the mask is part of his whole notion of like striking fear, right? That whole thing in the beginning, that montage, seeing the light in the sky scares the people about what's in the shadows. And I think to some degree, the mask becomes a projection for others to elicit fear in them, to stop them from doing bad things. We wear a mask 
so others are are reminded of the role of fear in their lives. Interesting. The that we would say this is the fear of God, right? There are certain things that exist to, to strike the fear of God. I think there's a third reason that comes out in this movie, and it okay. comes out pretty much in the end, because there's a moment where Batman thinks he's going to be revealed, right? There's a moment where he thinks there's a video about to come out that the Riddler's right. going to reveal his identity. The Riddler's figure it out. We find out the Riddler has not figured it out. Right. It doesn't come as a relief to him. And I almost wonder if the mask is for is for the back. That somehow wearing a mask allows us to not see who we are. It's like, it's like you know, when you go to a masquerade party, you go to a costume party, wearing a mask lets you laugh a little, maybe a little more frivolous and a little more free. In the Batman, it actually allows him to act maybe about maybe his true self. We always think Bruce Wayne is his true self, and the mask is protecting him from being Bruce Wayne. I don't think Robert Pattinson's Batman likes Bruce Wayne very much. Don't get a sense he likes him at all. He's hiding him. Yeah. That being masked, for being Bruce Wayne, actually gets him to be vengeance helping hand these other things that he actually thinks are more valuable in the world than little rich kid who hides in a mansion the mask is really for him not for anybody else huh. it's to help him feel more himself so this brings me to purim tomorrow yeah recording this is on purim this is getting released after the holiday but don't worry it comes back next year you can play this back and i'm thinking about this holiday which has a few things that are very present in the batman mythology masks the right. holiday of purim it's both about figurative masks. We pretend to be Persian, but really we're Jewish. We pretend to not be somebody's uncle, uh, niece, but really that's our uncle, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We have this whole notion in the Perm story about the role of violence. Amon wants to destroy the people. It convinces the king to eradicate them. You have Esther, who somehow uses all of her many ways to not stop the violence, but to allow for more violence to occur. That, to me, is a lot about this Batman movie, this struggle with is violence the answer to violence? And then we get into the end of the Book of Esther, if you're reading it, if you read it recently, if you haven't, go back. After all the violence is done, Esther and Mordecai have to figure out how to put together the pieces. The flood has happened, as in the Batman movie. And their solution is not to create the Jewish Defense League, is not to create more security fences. Their solution is to ask people to engage in a holiday built around communitarian behaviors, giving food to the poor, giving money to the poor, giving food to your friends, eating a meal together, listening to a shared narrative. And this is, I think, what happens in this Batman movie, is it shifts from being about violence, being the answer to violence, to how can we help each other? How can we be in community with each other? What is lost in Gotham, that we're told is lost in 20 years, is violence took the place of the community. The one thing meant to serve the community, this fun, ends up leading to violence. And then we lead at the end of the story to Batman becoming a figure of helping. Hmm. That image helping that person get, get lifted up into the helicopter, to me, that's the end of the perm story. I think it's very important to look into our films and try to understand the themes, but understand how those themes relate to our tradition. But I also think it's very hard for me to watch a movie that for three hours has asked me to be pummeled by violent behavior if it doesn't give me an opportunity to find insight in me mm. and i really appreciate that matt reeves could have ended that movie with batman dying right and that would have been not realistic instead he gave us a sense of possibility and hope mm. and that's also what perm is about with all the frivolity of perm i think there is a place in batman movies for humor and frivolity and we didn't get that in matt reeves movie we didn't get that in chris nolan's movie in some ways, it does what allowed me to appreciate the Burton Schumacher movies. Sometimes, to handle the violence in their lives, we need a little bit of that flair, that frivolity, that masking. Yeah. Um, so let's jump into the other. Before we jump, because I love, I, I just want to comment, and I hope that the people listening today to this episode are thinking what I'm thinking, which is, I love your gorgeous mind. I love how you put these things together. And just listening to you talk about connecting Batman and Purim, I hope that the people who are listening to the podcast are thinking exactly what I was thinking, which is, Oh, I just love your gorgeous mind. So I had to comment. You had to let me say it because it was just, I mean, mwah, chef's kiss. It's so unique to two movie Jews. You're not going to get a Purim interpretation of Batman 
in any other podcast. And I love you for that. So give me the bingo report. That was amazing. Okay, so I want to celebrate all Batmans for this reason, because there are many sides to the Batman. All of them have value. Let's just talk about Batman himself. We just got Robert Pattinson. We both showed a lot of love. Yep. And of course, yep. you can include him. But as you're thinking about your favorite Batman, like yep. from all the ones, we're talking going back to Michael Keaton and Val Kilmer, George Clooney, Ben Affleck, Christian Bale, now Robert Pattinson. Who's your favorite and why? Yeah, Yechiel, I'm going old school. I'm going with Michael Keaton, the original, the one who set the baseline for me. First of all, Michael Keaton was a stand-up comedian, and he did even his emo nature. I felt like he brought the most joy to Batman, if, if that makes any sense to you. He just looked like he was enjoying playing the Batman and I don't know, there was some, there's something so compelling about him. The other thing that I really like is that, you know, he's not the best looking Batman of the group. He's certainly a handsome guy, but he's not George Clooney. He's not Robert Pattinson, but he, he just feels like he set the ba baseline for a very authentic back Batman that you could enjoy watching. So I have to say, and I, I don't know if that's like, nostalgia like you, everyone says that whatever music was playing when you were in high school is your favorite music and maybe that's what it is that i i think i was in high school or no i was probably in college when that one came out i i don't know i'm going old school with the michael keaton how, how about you it's hard for me to answer this question but i'm going to answer in two parts my favorite bruce wayne is michael keaton i oh. think he did the best bruce wayne like when he had the mask off and he was in with Alfred or he's with Vicki Vale, AKA Kim Basinger. I thought he played that part of him. I think that version of Batman, Bruce Wayne is the prior, the primary. When he puts on the costume, he's almost uncomfortable. The fact that he has to. Interesting. In contrast, like I think Robert Pattinson's Batman was my favorite Batman. Like he looked the most comfortable in that suit, the most comfortable in that there was a certain ease and in a way that I never felt Chris, Christian Bale was ever comfortable in his in his Batman suit. Interesting. Like he was always putting on that ridiculous voice. If you notice, Robert Pattinson used the same voice. Yeah. Which is also why I think people would have figured it out eventually that Bruce Wayne is Batman, but they never saw Bruce Wayne for like two scenes. Yeah. But interesting. I just think Robert Pattinson was now my favorite in the suit Batman, and he did. He was in that suit for two and a half hours of that movie. He was incredible. Like. I want to see him play Batman. Okay, I, I buy. I also have a little bit of love for Val Kilmer, but knowing how much he hated being in that movie, I can't. I know, I can't. I just can't. It's worst Batman. Worst Batman. Ugh. I mean, it, it's got to be Ben Affleck, right? I actually don't mind Ben Affleck as much. I hated George Clooney. George Clooney. There was just something so off about that performance and that. Yeah. I actually don't mind Ben Affleck as much as other people, especially now seeing Robert Pattinson. I realized what could have been. That's fair. I, uh, George Clooney, I don't know. It's hard for me to say that George Clooney was the worst one. Actually, now that I think about it, maybe Val Kilmer. I mean, you can just see how much he's, how miserable he is. It shows on the screen. I can't say that I thought any of them were terrible. Certainly from the uh, dichotomy of Bruce Wayne versus Batman. George Clooney is a perfectly acceptable Bruce Wayne, for sure. I mean, he looks like he could be, you know, billionaire playboy. He he wears that well. So that's a good question. But I I also wonder, we never got Ben Affleck in a, in a solo ben, uh, Batman movie. He was supposed to direct one. He didn't. Right. There was something about Ben Affleck having to play a Batman that was trying to lead a venture, whether it was Batman vs. Superman or Justice League. I don't think we ever got to see Batman Affleck do what Robert Pattinson did, which is live in his own world as his character. Right. He's always in relationship to Wonder Woman or to Superman. Or... So we've had a lot of visionary directors make the choice to make a Batman superhero movie. Who's your favorite Batman director? I got to go with Chris Nolan. I think he's the first one to really reinvent the Batman films. I, I will say when I was watching the Tim Burton ones, I was laughing to myself like, Tim Burton, he loves a flying shot. Like he loves to fly in over a graveyard or fly into the penguin's lair. I was laughing at how many of those there were. But I think the first ones that I really felt were superb films over and above being 
a superhero film were the Chris Nolan ones. And I think he was the first to really take it seriously as a darker story. Obviously, it starts with Batman Begins, but then the Dark Knight Rises and they just reinvent the Batman genre. And so I'm going with Chris Nolan. How about you? Yeah, I would argue they reinvented the comic book genre. There would be no MCU if it wasn't for Chris Nolan and what he did. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I think Tim Burton made great Tim Burton movies. If you actually look into like the range of his filmography, Batman and Batman Returns fit in his movies. Yeah. But Christopher Nolan made great. He elevated the comic book movie to a point where it could be a great movie. All three of them. I think even Batman Begins is not going to get And I will say Matt Reeves is close. If Matt Reeves gets a chance to make another movie, he is making a penguin tv show starring colin farrell uh, for hbo max that has been announced they don't know yet when that will be interesting we did not give a huge shout out to colin farrell unrecognizable as oh the my penguin. god he's just a nickname not a uh, mobster in this movie not like the villain who i thought should was amazing i think like he yeah. was incredible he gave us the over-the-top performance that we weren't getting from dano or pattinson yeah. And it was perfect. I would say right now it's Nolan, but Matt Reeves is working on something. But again, what Matt Reeves did with the Batman would never have been Batman would never have been possible without Chris Nolan's. I would say you're right. Matt Reeves is biting at, at Nolan's heels. I think for reinventing the genre, I gotta give the prize to Chris Nolan for sure. Yes. For sure. And I'm sorry, Joel Schumacher Oliver Shalom, but you kind of like got last place. Boy, it just got um, ridiculous. I mean, beyond You're even worse than Zack Snyder, that's how Yeah. <laughs> Now, Batman movies, especially up until The Batman, were known for its villains more than almost its Batman. So yeah. when, as you've now looked over the whole filmography of, of Batman movies, what is the, what's your favorite Batman villain movies? I think you have to have some tribute to Jack Nicholson, who at least looked like he was having the best time in this film. Because you do look at a film like Batman, and especially a part like the Joker, and you go, what in the hell is Jack Nicholson doing in this part? Here's a remarkable method actor with a career's worth of highs and intensity and you know all about the craft of acting. And then he takes this part, which is so uh, mind-bogglingly nonsensical, but he does it with so much joy that honestly, even I was like on board. You know, I, I just thought he played it with the right amount of joy. Stop the movie. And I said out loud, I don't think I've seen any actor have so much fun in a part as I've seen Jack Nicholson playing the Joker. So for that reason only, I'm giving him the top prize as best villain. There's a sentimental part of me that wants to see Michelle Pfeiffer, Catwoman, because the 10-year-old boy in me could still never get over her that introduction shot that Tim Burton gives to her in leather outfit. Oh, yeah. Um, and with those whips, like, there's something about her that I have to say, he Ledger is the Joker. <gasps> I think, to me, that might be one of the greatest villains, like, up there with Darth Vader. It is just so hard to watch that movie and not feel complete terror about what he who he is and how his performance and what he's doing up until the last boss moment. Like it's in, it's an incredible performance and it fits the movie perfectly and it's such a great contrast to Bale's take on Batman. It's my favorite villain. And Maybe when I ever did a top 5 villains episode, that villain is up there. And boy, the, by, by the way, even though Batman isn't in it, sets the stage so beautifully for Joaquin Phoenix's The Joker as well. Yeah. You know, and you're right. That was a gorgeous performance. Won the Oscar, of course, we know for Best Supporting Actor. Posthumously, very sadly. The three best villains are all the same villain. It's The Joker, The Joker, and The Joker. <laughs> well, it's just such an incredible part. And, and yeah. we won't talk about which actor was possibly introduced in the Batman um, as the Joker, but okay. Yeah. So what about? Uh, I'm gonna go to one that's a little different. The Batman movies are oftentimes known for their music, like they're very iconic. What was your favorite Batman score? Yeah, or I'll say soundtrack. Yeah, some of them also had like very famous soundtracks with great original music. I will say that. I mean, I think that you can't argue the Dark Knight has a magnificent soundtrack, but then again, similar, you know, right? Danny Elfman in so his his collaborations with Tim Burton 
again, back to the original Batman, Danny Elfman set up a world, right? This was really the first, I was trying to see if this was kind of the first superhero movie, or at least kind of the modern revival of a superhero movie. And Danny Elfman knows how to set up a world with, with a musical score. So I'm giving a tie between The Dark Knight and the original Batman because that Danny Elfman score, if you go back and just listen to the score without even knowing what movie it's from, I'm telling you, you're gonna say to yourself, this is from a superhero movie. I don't exactly know. It's from, well, let me say this, it's from a con. We established for all of us afterwards what a superhero movie should sound like. That's correct. And you are gonna so you can say- John, You can say John Williams with Superman, like started right? that and 10 years later, any of what did was just transcendent. It's it was, and it set the stage for this is what a comic book movie sounds like, right? So I'm I'm gonna give a tie score with the slight edge to Danny because he was starting off, you know, in sort of a brave new world rather than you know all the giants that stood on his shoulders. But I will say that the Dark Knight has a magnificent score. Beautiful, beautiful. I'm not gonna talk about score because I think you nailed it. I'm going to just talk about the use of songs. Like, we all know the Prince song in the original Batman movie was just yeah. incredible use of a song in a movie. Batman Forever had three amazing songs from Garbage, from Smashing Pumpkins, and most importantly, Seal, that were incredibly well used in that movie. I'll also say from the recent, the Batman. There is a Nirvana song that is yeah. expertly used incredible. and then repeats as a motif later in the movie. Incredible. And, and plays out the entire song over a, a sequence. And this is a song from 1991. Like, we're talking 30 years old, yeah. but it's so resonant uh, in terms of fitting this world that it was just unbelievable. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, that Nirvana reference. song, like, perfect, perfect. And and Still, the way that it framed the film at the beginning and at the end, like, you're right, mind-boggling. I think we discussed, like, our love of different Batman movies, but which is the one Batman movie you would like to like have been forgotten, like lock it in a vault, let's <laughs> pretend it never existed. It kind of like should not be in the context of this conversation. Is it possible to pick any other one than Batman and Robin? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Poison Ivy and this like, it was just a script that was a character that was strung together with catchphrases and the nipples on the, on the outfits, what do you call it, the, the suits? The super suits, Batgirl in such a weird, like, I don't know, the whole thing. Uh, I call shenanigans. And I, can, can you pick another one? Is it is there another possible choice? It's so sad because I really wish George Clooney could have been given a decent chance at that point of his life. It's and it's too bad. because Uma Thurman, Chris O'Donnell, Lisa, so like it had uh, a great cast. There, the, the one, the one, like, chuckle, I think from that film was Chris O'Donnell and his family in essentially the Robin suits as flying trapeze artists. And I was like, sure, that is literally the only place that you could wear the outfit with like the tip of the hat. I looked at that, I was like, oh yeah, right. The original outfit, got it, thanks. Who would you like to see as Batman if Robert Pattinson decides he wants to go like make space movies or something. I don't know where our friend- Here's the thing that our listeners should know, which is that you prepared a list of questions for us to talk about. And this one, I did many more hours of contemplating than I should have because I so love this question. So I'll be honest, I have a short list because it's really hard to decide, but I have ranked a couple of people who I think would make magnificent Batmans. My number one, and I swear, I think this will knock you down, is Mahershala Ali. I think he has the intensity. He has the ability to be a good Bruce Wayne and a good Batman. I think he's got the emotional range. I think he's got the, you know, I think him in like a turtleneck sweater as a contemplative Bruce Wayne, like you can totally, totally- I feel like his mustache fits so much. Oh my God. I think that he would be a a brilliant Batman. And um, my second choice is Bradley Cooper. 
who I think could be. And truly, like, based on the Nightmare Alley performance is actually what made me think of him. Because at first I was kind of marinating on Justin Timberlake. My number one choice is Mahershala Ali. My number two choice is Bradley Cooper. And my number three choice is John David Washington, Denzel Washington's son, who we loved in Black Klansman. Again, I think think could wear the costume of a billionaire quite easily. And I think could be banging in a ba- in a Batman costume. So those are my top three: Mahershala Ali, Bradley Cooper, and John David Washington. Those are my Batman. Were you able to answer this question? First of all, the Ali and Cooper choices, if we want to go with an actor in their forties, I think are brilliant. I'd like to stay away from the actor in the forties. I liked how Christian Bale was thirty-one and. Robert Pattinson was 35 or 36. I think that was one of the problems people have with Affleck is he was on the older age, hmm. the range. Even though I would look for an actor in their 30s would play him. I I have always been interested. There was a great animated series in the 90s called Batman Beyond, which was about a frail, broken Batman and who has to bring in an apprentice to play Batman for him. And I would love to recast George Clooney as Batman to okay. play the old Batman who's stuck in a wheelchair, has to, you know, a, a walker, and cast Shamik Moore, who does the, who has been in a bunch of things, including does the voice for Miles Morales in uh, uh, Spider-Verse movies. And I think he'd be amazing as the, as the character in Batman Beyond. And I think we're due. I think I agree with you. I'm so happy we had the Batman movie. It was interesting. Robert Pattinson was great. We yeah. need to reinvent the Batman narrative. Bringing in a young Batman would be a great way to do it. Having yeah. George Clooney get to return as old Batman nice. 20 years later would be like, a, we would finally redeem Batman and Robin. Nice. And so I want nice. George Clooney as Batman, and then I want Batman Beyond. And the best part is in the Batman Beyond TV series, guess who played the Joker? Who? Mark Hamill. <gasps> right. Again, You're Mark right Hamill to play the Joker. Genius. I will say this I purposely went with Batmans in their 40s. And the reason is that I would like to see a series. I'm tired of this shit. (laughs) Like, I have been fighting crime for a really long time, and I don't seem to have been making a dent in, in beating it back. And what the internal struggle would be for an older Batman who's deflated. That's what they should have done with Batman and Robin. That is, and they were kind of alluding to that, and it was just so distracting with all the other crap. But that was the story for Batman and Robin. Batman Forever was like Batman never gets to actually get married, so here comes Nicole Kidman. Um, I actually think Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey were great villains in in the Joel Schumacher ridiculous world. Yes, Um, but I, I would like to see actually a George Clooney. Batman as an older person who's then been broken down by playing Batman. I love because it. Because I think they bring back a little more of that comedy that was in the Tim Burton um, Joel Schumacher was. Yeah. I don't need it to be over the top comic booky production design. I just need a little bit more of that like wink wink stuff. Nobody really wants to see Ben Affleck do what he tried to do in the, in the Superman Justice League yeah. movies because yeah. people are sick of Ben Affleck. Um, <laughs> he's smarmy. Um, when he does that, but Bradley Cooper would do it great. You're right. I, I would actually, the Ali Barb Bradley Cooper one, if we're going to have to go, but hopefully Robert Pattinson has this locked up for yeah. a little bit. Yeah, right. I'd like to, I, I would like to see a full series with him, particularly for this kind of unique take on, on Batman. I mean, it's hard to have a unique take on a movie that's been recast. <laughs> and yes. remade with sequels. I'm hoping there'll be a couple more. I'd love to see. Well, since you're looking for a new vision, who would you like to direct about? Okay, I'm totally ready for this. Well, I, again, have two choices. And my first choice is Guillermo del Toro. I think Ooh, he does dark movies so beautifully. And looking back to Pan's Labyrinth, I'd love to see kind of that um, that style applied to this film. I would love to see Maggie Gyllenhaal direct a Batman film. And why not cast Jake Gyllenhaal as Batman? We didn't even mention him. I think Jake Gyllenhaal would make a great Batman. I mean, Guillermo del Toro's style and his flavor and his tone matches Batman perfectly. 
Maggie Gyllenhaal, I was so thrilled with her lost daughter direction. I think it would be interesting to see her take on a Batman film and what she would do with it and how she would write it and how she would direct it and what choices she would make. I think she's going to have a huge directing career. And I hope some producer studio exec is listening. I hope so. Because I don't think it should be her next film, but I think it should be her third film. To, I think she needs to direct one more in between. And then the third one is a Batman. I actually also went with you with looking for a female director. I think we've had enough of the same look of what a macho male director does. Two stood out for me as possibilities. One is Catherine Bigelow. We both know can handle action sure. and intensity. She's been making action movies for years. Yeah, She should have been given a chance to make Batman 20 years ago. But I'll say a more recent one. Particularly because yeah. I am interested in the Batman Beyond one, which is the idea of a father-son dynamic. Yeah. I'd love to see Greta Gerwig <gasps> make a Batman Yes. I bet she's grown up on Batman movies herself. So and good. I think she could make a movie that was less focused on the action and more focused on the relationship dynamics and what it meant for an older person to let go and another person to take over. People, Batman Beyond... Directed by Greta Gerwig, starring George Clooney, Shemik Moore. I'll help produce it. I promise. <laughs> but I love that. That's a great one, Greta Gerwig. Oh my god! I'm just thinking about like the Francis Ha style applied to Batman. That would be so cool. I also think about Little Women because I think Little Women was so the way they dealt with storytelling and different people's perceptions of each. I just think. She could do something really interesting with the character of the Batman. The way we've been talking about, like, who is the primary? The masked uh, yeah. Avenger, essentially, or the the playboy? You know, I always felt like that's where Christian Bale got lost. Is And that's the beauty of those three movies, is it was him getting lost and finding himself by the end. It, it's going to be great. And, you know, I'm also just looking forward to seeing what Matt Reeves does next yeah, with this uh, character. I was nervous, and I'm less nervous, and now I'm just eager. The Batman have been explored, deeply discussed. We are excited for more. There will be more. There's going to be a lot of DC movies coming out in the next uh, year, including another Aquaman movie, another Shazam movie. Yep. We're going to get Black Adam. I can't wait. I can't wait. I love it. Well, this was really fun. And tell someone about Two Movie Jews. We love to get subscribers. Give us your feedback. Rate us on all the places that you rate podcasts. You can find us, of course, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Stitcher, and others. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Movie Jews. You can also follow me, Jody Berman, at Jody B, J O D I B E E. And you can follow Yahil on Twitter at Yak Kaufman. And let us know if you have a topic you'd like us to cover. So that's our episode for this week. Jody. it's been great getting to talk about movies with you. It's really my favorite thing to do. Me too. It's my favorite thing to do too. So, l'chaim. To life. To movies.